Our nation has a commitment to liberty and justice for all. And we aren't doing well on the part about for all. Too many Americans, left and right, religious and secular, want liberty for their own side in the culture wars, but not for the other side. Those words were written by Douglas Laycock and Thomas Berg in an online article. And unfortunately, I think they're right. You know, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But oftentimes his followers haven't done that for people they disagree with. Many religious people see religious liberty as only liberty for me, but not for thee. Unless, of course, you happen to agree with me. LGBTQ people have experienced discrimination and even much worse in our society. And Christians have, unfortunately, contributed to the animus against gay people. Historically, same-sex behavior has been singled out by Christians as an abomination, even while those same Christians have often failed to mention that the Bible also lists several other, much more fashionable sins, such as pride, lying, adultery, and even oppressing the poor, as abominations to God. Simply put, in singling out gay people for special condemnation, Christians have been hypocritical and failed to love sinners like themselves. Now, Christians like myself who want to follow what I read in the Bible believe that God's ideal for sexual intimacy, which was modeled at creation, is still the best way to live. One man and one woman committed for life in marriage to each other. Yes, the Bible teaches that sex outside of God's ideal is a sin. But can a Bible-believing Christian disagree with same-sex relationships on a theological basis and yet support civil rights for same-sex individuals and couples? Well, Kevin Paulson thinks so, and today he joins me again to share his perspective on the issue of gay civil rights. Now, Kevin is a pastor, evangelist, theologian, prolific writer, and theologically conservative Christian who believes that LGBTQ people should enjoy the protection of full civil rights in our society. Oh, and by the way, you can send us your questions or input for future episodes. Our email is dojusticenow at icloud.com. Email us a voice memo with your question, and we may include your voice on an upcoming podcast. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Gay rights or traditional Christian rights, which one should win in a civilized society such as ours? Well, the truth of the matter is that if we're going to go by the Bible's definition of morality, as well as how religion and the government should interact, then the answer is both gay rights in a non-theocratic state and the rights of religious people to express and practice their beliefs are to be protected. Uh, let, let us keep in mind that it was Jesus who said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence. And let's try to understand. This passage, of course, is from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 36. Let's try to understand that the only thing that Governor Pilate was concerned about when Jesus was brought before him was, is this man a political revolutionary? 
any of the disputes between Jesus and the religious leaders in the Jewish community would not have made any difference to Pilate. The only thing that mattered to him is, is this man a political agitator? And that's when Jesus was brought aside by the governor, and he assured him, my kingdom is not of this world. Obviously, it was sufficiently persuasive, because a few verses later, Pilate brings Jesus out to the mob and declares, I find in him no fault at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the point is, the same Bible which condemns without qualification any type of sexual intimacy outside of heterosexual marriage is the same Bible that declares in the words of our Lord that his kingdom is not of this world. There are any number of other Bible passages that make it clear that the power Jesus promised to his church was not in the secular political arena. Jesus never authorized his followers to establish a theocracy of the kind that we find in the Old Testament, where people were stoned to death for such crimes as adultery and homosexual practice. When Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world, he made it very clear this was not part of the agenda of his followers. Recently, the U.S. House of Representatives, as you know, passed the Equality Act, Um, Whether this actually will ever become law uh, remains to be seen, um, because the Senate, of course, would have to also um, pass this. But let me just read a little summary of the act, or I should say this is a, a paragraph from the act, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. The act states that individuals who are LGBTQ or are perceived to be LGBTQ, have been subjected to a history and pattern of persistent, widespread, and pervasive discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity by both private sector and federal, state, and local government actors, including in employment, housing, and public accommodations, and in programs and activities receiving federal financial assistance. An explicit and comprehensive national solution is needed to address such discrimination, which has sometimes resulted in violence or death, including the full range of remedies available under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Kevin, you and I both agreed that, I think, that that LGBTQ people have experienced discrimination in society, both historically and even in the present, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, and Christians have, unfortunately, contributed to that animus against gay people to some extent, I would argue. Um, I mean, and I, I think here's the thing, whatever you believe about it from a theological standpoint, um, historically, it seems like same-sex behavior has often been singled out by Christians as you know, an abomination, even while these same Christians uh, often failed to mention that the Bible also lists several other more fashionable sins, such as pride, lying, adultery, even oppressing the poor, uh, those are all called abominations against God as well. So Indeed they are. So it's interesting, you know, it's like, I, I think because Christians have often singled out gay people for special condemnation, uh, you know, there's been some hypocrisy here, um, big hypocrisy in the Christian world uh, in the past and, and even coming into today. And so uh, here we see now this, this act that's just been passed by the U.S. House of Representatives um, 
a lot of conservative Christians see this as a real threat to them because they say, hey, they're out to get us. Um, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I think it is fair to say that in any polarized climate, such as what we are presently confronting, the extremes do have a way of feeding on one another. And the, the real problem with many conservative Christians who have this uniformly negative attitude toward gay rights is because they really don't understand the principle of the separation of church and state. Mm. They don't realize that it is not the duty of a non-theocratic government to regulate conduct that is of a purely consensual nature. That is the problem, I'm afraid, with many conservative Christians who have this negative attitude toward gay rights so far as civil society is concerned. With regard to the Equality Act, I am not yet persuaded that it is a threat to the free exercise of religious organizations or institutions. Um, I think that when you look at the term public accommodations, it would really be a difficult task to prove that this term applies to churches or the institutions churches operate. Nor do I believe, to be frank with you, that the great majority of Americans who identify as religious conservatives, whether Roman Catholics, whether conservative Protestants, these are clearly the bulk of the American population. Those Christians who take a very liberal view of the Bible and of its principles concerning sexuality, um, we could name a number of those. Those uh, religious communities are very much in the minority. And it, would, it is difficult to imagine that the public would tolerate anything like that if it were to take place. As far as the Equality Act is concerned, um, as you indicated, I, I, I do not believe that it would have any chance in the current session of Congress in getting past the United States Senate if, in the coming election cycle, the Senate and the White House were to change hands. I believe that even then, it would probably not be of uh, such a large majority, particularly in the upper chamber, that would um, be filibuster-proof. And as a result of that, they would have to come to some um, accommodation so far as the concerns of religious people are, are concerned. Even if, let's just uh, let, let's uh, do another hypothetical here, let's assume that the uh, new Senate majority were to abolish the filibuster and it would pass both houses of Congress in its current form and be signed by a new president, then it would go to the United States Supreme Court. And under the current Supreme Court, it is, in, it is extremely unlikely that uh, the act as it is presently written would not be challenged and very likely uh, declared unconstitutional. And l l let's remember also what is, at st what is involved here. Because what we have in the recent decisions by the court regarding the rights of religious organizations is the very notable 
Hosanna Tabor case of 2012, in which a Lutheran church school was was sued by a former teacher, a mathematics teacher, no less, not a Bible teacher, but a mathematics teacher, because they had taken her job away on account of her disability. Actually, in the final analysis, they had taken her job away because she had gone to an outside lawyer, which is contrary to the doctrine of the, of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, based upon their reading of certain biblical passages. Uh, other religious communities, such as our own, would take the same position. And that, that case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and by a margin of nine to nothing, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg all the way to the late Justice Scalia, the court ruled that a conservative Christian church school had the right to fire an employee over theology. And that is exactly what would be at stake if there was any attempt to make the Equality Act apply to religious organizations whose theology uh, opposes LGBT conduct. So right. I, I truly do not believe, I mean, there are so many barricades here that would, that would have to be crossed if the act in its current form were to be passed. And, and to be honest with you, Steve, I really don't think that the act in its current form uh, necessarily uh, poses this threat, because the Civil Rights Act of 1964 still contains all of the safeguards for religious organizations. None of those are repealed by the Equality Act. So, yeah, that's, there's a lot to discuss there. Um, you know, it is interesting because public accommodations, uh, at least here in California, include, um, include educational institutions. And, um, and I'm, I'm also thinking that the Hosanna-Tabor case, interesting fact about that is that the teacher who was a mathematics teacher, I believe it was, also taught a daily religion class. She was a commissioned minister. She, she let out in prayer and worship every day. And so I'm, you know, it remains to be seen whether that same protection would be afforded to um, a church school that wanted to fire someone whose job was, was much more secular than that. In other words, they didn't well, teach the well, religion well, class, the, class, et cetera. The, tr the truth of the matter is that that same pattern that you just described applies to teachers in, in church schools, in many denominations, and in just about every vocation imaginable. Uh, you and I are familiar with a case th that uh, occurred in our own denomination several years ago, where several professors were fired from one of our universities because of conduct that is forbidden by our theological principles. And when they tried to take their case to court in order to get their jobs back, the judge quoted the Hosanna-Tabor case. And we're talking here about a university. And so the truth of the matter is, nearly, m most, most instructors at religious institutions, even if they don't actually teach religion, they lead out in religious exercises. The great majority of them have something to do with that, and it would be very difficult to get a law like this approved that did not have very clear exemptions 
for, for religious communities. I don't see how they could even withstand a Senate filibuster unless those kinds of accommodations were included in, 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 in an act such as this. And like I say, even if the law as it's presently written were, to, were interpreted in this manner and, it was, and, and was challenged at the, at the Supreme Court level, which I believe it would be, uh, w w with very little time uh, after, it was, after the ink was dry, uh, if that were to happen, then uh, there wouldn't be any chance whatsoever that religious organizations would be in the crosshairs. This is a very religious country. The, 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 the Roman Catholic Church and its institutions, there is no way that any law of this country could successfully force them to hire as a priest or as a professor anybody who did not conform to Roman Catholic dogma. And the same thing, I believe, would apply to the vast majority of religious organizations the, the, uh, in, in our country, who, which are theologically and morally conservative. So this is the, I think, the problem here, the bigger picture problem, if we kind of zoom out, and that is that, you're right, we are a very religious country, um, and we have many institutions. Um, you mentioned the Catholic school system. That would be a, a good example, who you know, have problems with... Um, certain, you know, manifestations of gay rights, at least as it interacts, as they interact with religious institutions. Um, what, what in your mind is the solution to all of this? Because, you know, you've got, let, let's just say that this Equality Act overreaches and it doesn't provide um, an exception for religious institutions, okay? Whether, you know, it does or not, we're, we're kind of a little bit unclear on that, I guess, or maybe you think it, it's perfect the way it is. But let's just say it does not allow an exemption to religious institutions. They have to comply with this and hire, let's say, a staff member who is practicing a lifestyle that they believe is sinful. Um, where do we actually, as a society, how do we get to a place where both sides can coexist peacefully here without having this constant back and forth um, when it comes to these issues? Well, I think that one thing that could happen, and I have not said that the Equality Act is perfect. Sure. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that. I, I truly believe that even if the language as it presently exists would not propose a legal threat to religious organizations, I do believe that for the simple reason that um, this is becoming a... Um, a concern of so many people in our country that I believe it should be amended to the point where this kind of antagonism would not be um, provoked like it has unfortunately been. I, I think that what we need to have is a president of the United States and leaders in Congress who will work together on a genuine compromise. I think that what we recently saw several years ago in, in Utah might, in fact, shown a way forward in this respect. This was called a Fairness for All Act. I don't mm -hmm. know all, all the details. I, I have been told that um, I, I haven't been able to actually get the wording of what has been proposed in terms of this, uh, uh, in, in this respect. But I, I truly do believe, I truly do believe 
that this is something which which uh, might need to be incorporated to a certain degree in this particular act uh, so that we come together and recognize that everyone deserves the right to their convictions. Everyone deserves the right to consensual practices. Now, what is very interesting, what is very interesting is the law does not say anything about behavior. It, you, it speaks about orientation. Now, one wonders whether the, the, the rules that I have seen in any religious organization, I don't know any of them that talk about orientation. True. They simply talk about conduct. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how that would, um, that would survive in a legal context because, you know, nobody knows what a person with an LGBT orientation looks like. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like someone of an ethnic background that might be different from the majority. It's not like male and female, at least for the most part, you know, um, someone shows up for a job interview and uh, immediately, um, you know, experiences discrimination. But the, the, the issue in a religious institution, in a conservative religious institution like a school or a church, is not about orientation. It is about behavior. And w- w- when it comes to the process of ecclesiastical discipline, it is behavior that is in, the, in focus not orientation, or, or uh, and, and so I, I'm really not certain at this particular stage of things that uh, the law we're talking about really would um, would, would 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 be um, um, would, would, would I, I don't know that it would be involved. I, I don't know how uh, one could successfully challenge. A, um, a church school ruling on something of this nature, especially when Christian schools have all kinds of rules governing private conduct. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody that has challenged uh, those rules in a legal setting to say, I have the right to have sex with my girlfriend in the girl's dorm of a Christian college, uh, and I got kicked out of school because I was caught. You know, I don't think any law, any any court in our land would take that case for a minute, uh, b- b- because when you come to a religious institution, when you come to a church institution, you sign a statement saying that you will abide by the rules of that institution. I don't know how one could get around that in a legal context. I've heard people on the more liberal side of this issue. Uh, paint everyone who believe who disagrees with same sex, um, the same sex you know lifestyle and orientation or the manifestation of that same sex behavior. Let's say um, they paint them as being hateful and bigoted, and the implication is you cannot you know have a theological position that says I believe that heterosexual marriage is God's ideal and sexual activity outside of a heterosexual marriage is sinful. You cannot believe that and love gay people. You have to be a bigot if that's the case. So is it possible for someone to believe in the biblical idea of sexuality uh, and not be a bigot? 
I have a hard time with the use of that word bigot because it has a way of being very incendiary. Uh, and I think under certain circumstances it applies. I think anybody that goes out and beats a gay person to death <coughs> because of their behavior or their orientation certainly would qualify as a bigot in my book. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, I don't like the idea of applying that label to people with strong convictions. Mm-hmm. You know, we have lots of strong convictions in our country, and uh, there are many people who believe that certain ideas, certain choices are right, and certain ideas and choices are wrong. That's called freedom. I, 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 I also would make it very clear that in a free country, bigotry is still protected uh, under the law because uh, you are allowed to have opinions, you are allowed to express ideas. That's what freedom of speech is all about. That's what freedom of religion is all about. There are many people that have bigoted ideas, and they, too, have their say in a genuinely free society. But as far as the Bible is concerned, uh, the challenge of loving the sinner while hating the sin is one that has often been talked about in this conversation. The unfortunate thing is, as I have often said when this particular construct is addressed, I've often said that too many conservative Christians or or, or people on both sides of this this conversation, for example, basically give (coughs) a great deal of attention to one of those imperatives while giving studied neglect to the other. Mm. It, it, a great many of them remember enthusiastically to love the sinner, but are exceedingly unenthusiastic about hating the sin. And then we have people who are just the opposite, who are very enthusiastic about hating the sin, but not at all enthusiastic about loving the sinner. I like what one pastor said some time ago. Um, you know, everybody, when pressed, would say that they agree with that particular idea of loving certain persons while hating some of the things they do. After all, uh, this particular pastor asked, do you hate some of the things that your children do? The answer is yes. But do you hate your child? (laughs) The, The answer obviously is no. You could even say something like that about your significant other. About your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. You could say, you know, I hate it when she does that, or I hate it when he does that. But does that mean you hate your husband? <laughs> does that mean you hate your wife? I don't think so. You know, I think the the challenge here is that we do have. You know, I have several friends who identify as 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 gay or or lesbian, um, and many of them have been hurt in the church by, uh, as we mentioned earlier, kind of this, this special condemnation of, you know, their orientation or their behavior, et cetera. Um, so, you know, how do we actually do that? Because I think our society has a real problem with this. We really can't figure out how you can disagree with someone and still love them or disagree with someone and still be their friend. We obviously our politics, we can't get this right. You know, we're so polarized, it seems like. Um, how do we as Christians do that? Well, first of all, Steve, I think many of us have friends with whom we disagree politically mm-hmm. and we still count them as friends. Sure. I certainly have friends with whom 
I disagree theologically, and I still count them as friends. Uh, I think any of us who know people, whether inside our denomination or from another denomination, who hold beliefs that we very strongly condemn, we can still count them as friends. Uh, I do believe that this, that the uh, homosexual issue has been subjected to this kind of special abhorrence, which I believe has been unfortunate. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting that Jesus said in Matthew, the 11th chapter, verses 21 to 24, that the cities in which he had labored in Galilee, whose principal transgression was self-righteousness, would have a less favorable hearing in God's judgment than the sexually immoral cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Now that sounds pretty serious to me. I mean, where Jesus is saying that self-righteousness is worse than sexual sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the main reason for that is self-righteous people don't feel a need. And, and this is what always makes any sin, when it is coupled with pride, worse than any other. You know, if you fall into sexual sin and then regret it later, like most people do, or at least a great many people still do, you know, that's a lot different. There's more hope for that person from a Christian standpoint than there is for a person that says, I'm doing just fine, thank you very much. And, and so the, the, the fact of the matter is that, yes, there has been a great deal of unnecessary severity or undue severity directed at people who engage in this particular lifestyle and yet a great deal of neglect to be equally firm in addressing sins that are more fashionable. But at the bottom line, neither two nor a multitude of wrongs make a right. Mm-hmm. We need to be just as strong We need to be strong as Christians in our upholding of biblical sexuality standards uh, as far as those who join our fellowship and in our proclamation of the gospel to the world. We need to be firm in that context as well, all the while being considerate of the free choice that everyone is given by God from the Garden of Eden, where God put both trees in the midst of the garden to give our first parents a choice, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, all the way to Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, where the Bible says, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. In the book of Revelation, you have two contrasting religious systems one represented by a woman dressed in white, the other represented by a woman dressed in scarlet or red. And what is very interesting in Revelation is the contrast between the methods used by these two women. The false church represented by the woman in scarlet, according to Revelation 14, verse 8, forces all nations to drink of her wine. And And in chapter 17, verse 2, it says that the wine of her fornication is dispensed by her relationship through with the kings of the earth. Earth, So we're talking about an illegitimate union of church and state, which the Bible calls fornication, 
which of course is another term for sexual immorality. So the false church in Revelation uses force. The true church in Revelation 22:17 invites people to choose. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that is a thirst come. This is an invitation to come by choice. This is an invitation given by the true church. So religious freedom in the Bible doesn't only apply to saints. It also applies to people that the Bible identifies as sinners. So Kevin, you and I both agree, and I think many Christians actually do agree, that um, gay people um, should enjoy full civil rights in our country. Um, What about in situations like, for example, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case that went up to the United States Supreme Court back in, uh, actually last year, um, where Jack Phillips, the baker there, uh, said, you know, I'll sell goods to you out of my bakery, but I will not make a wedding cake specifically for your wedding. That's against my conscience. Um, So, you know, well, personally, I don't know that I would have done what he did. I think I, you know, uh, my thing is, you know, if you disagree with somebody, uh, show them love. Maybe that'll win them over to your position, right? Uh, exactly. But, okay, so regardless of, you know, that's his conscience, though. He says, I can't do this. Um, I'll serve you, but I can't, you know, do something proactive, create a piece of art is kind of, I guess, how he saw his cake work um, to or free speech. I'm, I'm creating something here that is going to endorse your behavior that I disagree with. Um, so in these, there, there are some touchy areas like that where you have, for example, some Christians who say, you know, I, I just won't agree to photograph a wedding, um, uh, a gay wedding. Um, I don't agree with that. And what, what I do find interesting, of course, and I think you'd agree with me on this, and, and somewhat hypocritical actually, is that some of those same people probably would have no problem uh, photographing the wedding of a heterosexual couple who maybe don't have biblical grounds, though, to get married. For example, someone who has not go. been divorced uh, according to the terms of the Bible, allows for divorce, etc. That's an unbiblical marriage, right? Anyway, that's another side route we could go on. So, what do you what do you think about situations like the masterpiece cake shop situation and wedding photographers who say, you know what, um, you know, I don't hate gay people, I just don't agree with you know gays getting married, and and I don't want to endorse this by what I do, and and so a lot of folks. You know, personally, again, I, I'm not saying I agree with Jack Phillips here. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how can our society accommodate those people, or can we, and still, uh, you know, provide full civil rights to LGBTQ people? This is an area where I believe the threading of the needle may be exceedingly subtle and, and, and perhaps difficult. Um, I, I would very much oppose any kind of religious freedom provision that would permit, for example, a Christian restaurant owner to throw a gay couple out of his facility Absolutely. For, right. for showing affection in public, effectively saying, we don't serve your kind here. Right. Uh, I would be very much opposed to that. Sure. I would be opposed to an apartment owner saying, we're not going to let gay people rent here, mm-hmm. or, 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 or things of that nature. 
um, or or a, a grocery store owner firing someone mm-hmm. because once they found out he was gay, or maybe because in the parking lot he was seen kissing his boyfriend. You know, uh, I would not favor allowing that kind of uh, free exercise. That that that, that to me, in, in you know, it's like a friend of mine used to say, "Your right to swing your fist ends at my nose." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in the case of the wedding industry, I guess. Maybe a case could be made, and this is where I myself am wrestling with the issue. I have to be candid about this uh, in this particular context. Um, Like you say, uh, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy that's going on here, because there are many Christian business people who regularly facilitate choices with which they disagree by the acts of commerce in which they engage. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another uh, example could be um, brought up here. What about a Protestant baker <clears throat> who conscientiously would object to making to baking a cake for a Catholic wedding, which, of course, anybody that is familiar with the Catholic marriage ceremony understands that it. That part of that ceremony is the practice of of transubstantiation and the Mass, which any devout Protestant considers to be absolute blasphemy. Mm -hmm. Does that therefore mean that a Protestant baker could say, well, I'm not going to bake a cake for this Catholic wedding because I don't agree with the theology of the Mass? uh, and, 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 And yet this happens all the time. But I think that perhaps... Some kind of accommodation, and I don't know exactly what this fairness for all proposal uh, um, proposes to do in cases such as this, but maybe what might be required of uh, of someone like Jack Phillips would be, even though you can't in conscience create a work of art uh, for something that you don't believe in biblically or theologically, that you are nevertheless required to refer a couple that would come to you uh, and ask for your services to someone who would be happy for the business. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> interesting. I, th- I, I think that the I think that the people involved in the wedding industry conceivably might be understood as having a bit of a closer relationship with um, their customers. I'm not entirely sure that I can um, defend that with quite the clarity that. Uh, I would be able to defend other aspects of the gay rights agenda and and other issues that we're talking about. You know, I I guess I remember, Steve, when I was living in Southern California, when there was a color photo lab not far from where I used to live that had a very conspicuous notice right on the counter where it said, we're prudes about nudes and lewds. <laughs> and it said, if this is your kind of photography, fine, but please take those films to another lab. Mm. Now, I've often thought when it comes to this issue of religious convictions in the practice of commerce, I've often wondered if anybody would dare to take those people to court for the right uh, uh, to have pornographic pictures produced. Somehow, I don't think too many people would probably uh, go that direction for any number of reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but, but the thing is, this is an issue that I believe careful threading of the needle, as I said a moment ago, 
is going to be needed. I think, once again, what we have to do in our present polarized context, I believe we need to have political leaders chosen to lead our land who can work with one another and come to an understanding when it comes to these things. And I believe that that can still happen. I hope maybe this fairness for all proposal might work. Maybe perhaps uh, the configuration of Congress and the courts uh, in the next few years might be of such a nature to force such an accommodation. That's really what, uh, you know, has happened in, with so many of the strides in civil rights and civil liberties in our country. Uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, for example, would never have had a ghost of a chance of getting past the United States Senate if they had not included accommodations for religious organizations. Mm -hmm. You and I both know there are still segregated schools in the South mm -hmm. that operate legally, but they just don't take public funds. Mm -hmm. They are private institutions you know, a few years ago, Bob Jones University didn't allow interracial dating. Now, that's, that's certainly something that you and I would have a hard time understanding biblically. I mean, there's some pretty good high-profile biblical examples of interracial couples in the Bible. One of mm -hmm. them, in fact, was none other than Moses himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you, you really wonder how people can come up with these things, but then once again, religious liberty is not not confined in America to people with correct theology. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that. So if Bob Jones University wants to have that rule, um, there was really no legal ground on which they could uh, force them to change that rule because it's a private organization. But, 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 but this is what we need to address. I think we need to find a way for us all as much as possible to live together with uh, our, our disparate beliefs, to recognize where the line between church and state belongs, and, and, and to understand that, yes, we can disagree about immoral practices or practices that the Bible and other uh, conservative religious documents identify as immoral. We can, we can condemn these <clears throat> in a theological or evangelistic setting, but at the same time, in a free society, in a non-theocratic society, a society where everyone of all religious faiths and of none are welcome, that these kinds of practices are legally and civilly permissible. Mm. So I like that. We need to thread the needle carefully here. You know, I think the problem here is that both sides see this as a zero-sum game. It's an all-out war with the other side. They want to, you know, destroy the other side in some ways. And I think in order for what you're suggesting to actually work, we have to give the other side, our opponents, whoever they may be, the benefit of the doubt, and we have to extend grace to them uh, in order for this to work. We have to actually believe that they're not completely bad people, that they don't actually necessarily hate us, that they're just trying to exist like we are. And um, I think Christians need to lead the way with that, honestly. I don't know that we've done a great job of that, uh, conservative Christians. I don't think that that's always been uh, a forte of conservative Christians in our country, well, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid you're right about that, Steve, and I think what has happened 
is that because of the encroachments of our um, immoral culture and society uh, on the lifestyles of conservative Christians, uh, these forces have been lapping at their at their front doors and uh, into their computers and everything else, that it's very easy for them to get desperate and to strike back like a cornered cobra. And, and, and this is just something we cannot do. I think Christians need to recognize <clears throat> that these kinds of issues belong in the realm of persuasion, not in the realm of coercion. But it's easy when you see all of this happening and and, and all of the norms that you grew up with breaking down all around you, it's easy to just, you know, mm. call everybody to arms and say, let's go fight these people. Sure. Let's go, you know, take over Congress. Let's take over state legislatures. Let's appoint judges that will disallow these particular lifestyle choices. But that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. It is not the answer. And I can make a case from the Bible, from a theological standpoint, that it is not the answer. And, and, and this is where I believe conservative Christians need to back off. The, the denomination to which you and I belong <clears throat> has, I believe, taken the right position dealing with these kinds of issues. I appreciate what the president of our church said in an article he wrote several years ago when he said, just because the government allows something does not mean it endorses that something. This is something we need to be very clear about. See, too many times conservative Christians think that if the government allows abortion, if the government allows gay marriage, that therefore it is endorsing these things. But then I have to ask them, religious freedom in America is allowed for Roman Catholics, for evangelical Protestants, for fundamentalist Protestants, for Seventh-day Adventists, for Mormons, for Jehovah's Witnesses, for Buddhists, for Pentecostals, for Quakers, for New Agers, for Hindus, Muslims, Jews. We can go down the list. Does this therefore mean that the government is endorsing any of these religious philosophies, worldviews, or persuasions? The answer is definitively, definitely no. And for those listeners who want to understand a little bit more about your views um, regarding how morality ought to play a role in public policy, we'll refer them back to our episode on the abortion debate where you make a distinction between um, collective morality, I think it was, and yeah. consensual morality, which I think was a, a good way to, to look at it. I want to just wrap this up here, and I really appreciate your your perspective on all of this, Kevin. I want to wrap this up with a written statement. I want to read a couple of excerpts from that. The church that you and I do belong to, the the Adventist Church, uh, recently put out a press release here about the Equality Act, and you know they expressed some concerns in there. They said this bill makes no allowance for communities or individuals of faith who hold traditional views of marriage and gender. And then it went on to say this, and I appreciated. Actually, the whole statement, it said, The Seventh-day Adventist Church believes that every human being, regardless of their beliefs or choices, is created in the image of God and thus deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. We recognize LGBTQ individuals often suffer unjust discrimination and are in need of legal protection. 
Um, Unfortunately, in attempting to provide protection for some, the Equality Act unnecessarily infringes upon the rights of others. Then it says the way forward means addressing the concerns of both the LGBT and religious communities. We believe there is a better approach, one that builds upon the civil rights protections uh, offered in the Equality Act by also reaffirming the First Amendment religious freedom rights of people of faith. And then it goes on to talk about how the Adventist Church reaffirms its biblical interpretation of marriage, gender, and our long-held commitment to the separation of church and state. Thanks for joining us today. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at DoJusticeNow. You can also tweet your questions or suggested topics for a future podcast conversation to us there. Or send your questions or ideas by email to DoJusticeNow at iCloud.com.